I just feel very strongly in my spirit this morning that before I begin my message, I just want us to pray one more time. And in this time of prayer, praise, I want you to tell God how faithful he is and how awesome he is. And then after you tell him how faithful he is in taking care of us, give him thanks for answering prayer. Can we do that, church? Let's do that. Father God in heaven, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you are a faithful God. You know every little detail in our lives. You know what's going on in our personal lives, in our spouse's lives, in our children's lives. And God, you're faithful. And we proclaim that and we believe that, Father, that you are a faithful God. And Father, thank you for answered prayer. Thank you, Lord, for answering prayers, Lord, made by your people. Father God, thank you for moving in our church, in our lives, and in our families. We give you thanks for that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 I just felt led, church, just how awesome God is and how faithful he is, that we need to do that on a regular basis, and not just at church. We need to Give thanks to the Lord and, and tell him how awesome he is and how magnificent he is. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and Paul will, will give you a Bible. And maybe, maybe you're in a season of life and things aren't going well. You're like, okay, God, where are you at in my life? Where are you, where are you at in this particular area? Praise him anyway because God will be faithful. And he will move in your life and in your family's life and in the things that matter most. Amen? Amen? Amen. Turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Remember the past two weeks we looked at um, the rapture, the rapture of the church. We looked in John chapter 14 at Jesus' promise of the rapture, where he says, I will come again. And then two weeks ago we looked at uh, the event from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it says that the church will be caught away will be raptured, as the Latin Vulgate says. And then last week, we looked at what will happen to us. And we looked, I believe, at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58, talking about the transformation that's going to take place. Well, this week, we're continuing our study and our look at eschatology, picking it up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, except today we're looking at what they call the day of the Lord. Just a quick pause for a second and just want to ask you, um, you don't have to answer this out loud, but what do you know about the day of the Lord? In your mind, answer the question in your own mind, what do you believe the day of the Lord is? Because the Bible has a lot to say about it, a whole lot to say about it, especially in the Old Testament. So let's read, let's read the first three verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. It says, but concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you would have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that, the, here it is, the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. What is the day of the Lord? What, what, what is it that's going to happen in the future that the scripture calls 
the day of the Lord. Well, first off, as we look at this subject and we're going to study it this morning, it's got five different names in, in the Bible. The day of the Lord is also called the day of wrath. Zephaniah 1.15. It's called Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah 30 verse 7. It's called Daniel's 70th week. That can be found in Daniel chapter 9 verses 24 through 27. Jesus calls it the uh, great tribulation in Matthew 24, 21. And we also find in Revelation uh, 6, 16, this called uh, the wrath of the Lamb. Now, there are many verses on this subject. There were so many verses. I mean, by the time I finished preparing for my sermon, I had 12 pages. And I said, I can't get through 12 pages, Lord, on a Sunday morning. So i got to scale this down. But there are so many verses about the day of the Lord. It's a very dark time. Those are Old Testament verses. There's more New Testament verses, but all these verses in Scripture talk about the day of the Lord. They use the phrase, the day of the Lord. But if you go through and you study all of them, you're going to see it's a very dark time on earth. It's a very dark and gloomy time. So we're going to look at some Old Testament Scriptures on the day of the Lord. We're going to look at what Jesus said concerning the day of the Lord. And then we're going to study... Um, we're going to also look into the book of Revelation and see what it says about the day of the Lord. The first one I want to look at is Zephaniah 1.15. It says in Zephaniah 1.15, he says, That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. But the phrase that captures me in that verse is where he says, it's a day of wrath. It's a day of wrath. And then he gives us very uh, descriptive words that describes how dark this day is going to be. Folks, it's going to be the darkest hour. It's going to be the darkest hour in human history. God is going to pour out his wrath on a sinful, Christ-rejecting world. And I'm going to show you later on when we get into the book of Revelation, the hearts are going to be hard. The hearts are going to be cold. But even God in his mercy and his grace, he's going to give those people an opportunity to repent by sending seals and sending bowls. He's, he's, he's calling them to repent just like he did back in Egypt. But it's going to be a very dark hour for human beings living on planet Earth. That's, that's one, one of many verses. The next verse I want to look at is Joel 2.31. Joel 2.31 says, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome, there it is, day of the Lord. So not only is it going to be rough on human beings, but it's also going to be rough on, on creation. It's going to be the darkest hour in our universe. It says there in the text, the, uh, the sun will be darkened, the moon will turn a blood color, and it says the heavens will be shaken. That's what it talks about. That's, that's what it says. So it's going to be a very a dark hour. Let's look at what Jesus said. Jesus said concerning the great tribulation. And there's a whole, if you want to study more about this, go study all of Matthew chapter 24 on the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus gives a whole lot more. But I'm going to give you two verses from that, probably 10 or 15 verses. Matthew 24, 21, Matthew chapter 24, verses 21 and 22. Jesus says, for then there will be great tribulation, 
such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, these days will be shortened. So Jesus says there, even in the Gospels, it's going to be a time of trouble. It's going to be a time of difficulty as never been seen before. And this is what Paul, the Apostle Paul is referencing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, when he, when he talks about the day of the Lord. So where is the day of the Lord? Um, we have all these Old Testament verses that talk about it. We have Jesus that talks about it. But also the day of the Lord is found in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 4, verses uh, chapter 4 through chapter 18. We see cataclysmic things happening on earth. Cataclysmic things happening to people. But what will it be like? What will it be like? Again, as I spent a lot of time studying this week, a lot of time in my sermon preparation, I got the 12 pages, and I had all these verses, and I had to condense it down to a 30 to 45 minute time of teaching. So I just want to give you a summary of what the scripture says, of what it's going to be like. The, the great tribulation <clears throat> found in the book of Revelations, starting with uh, Revelation 4.1, where John says, after these things I was caught up in the spirit, and God shows him all these things while he's out of the body and, and showing these, these futuristic events. Revelations chapter 5 through chapter 8, we have what they call the seven seals. Very fascinating passage. I recommend go back and look at the very beginning of Revelations chapter 5. John is in heaven. There's this scroll, and he's looking around, and he's like, and there's no one to open the scroll. And John weeps. He weeps. But then all of a sudden, God lifts up his eyes, and it says in Revelation, at the beginning of chapter 5, it says, he saw this lamb as, as if he had been slain, and he was worthy. He was worthy to open up the scroll. To open up, excuse me, the seven seals. And in those seven seals, we see war, bloodshed, famine, pestilence, and death. That's Revelation chapter 5 through verses 8. And then somewhere in chapter 8, he picks it up, chapter 8 through chapter 11, we have what they call the, um, the seven trumpets. The seven trumpets, it, it, it gets even worse. In the seven trumpets, it says there will be hail, fire, a fire will burn up one-third of the vegetation, a mountain thrown into the sea will turn the oceans, uh, one-third of the oceans red, killing one-third of the ocean life. A star called um, Wormwood will strike the earth, contaminating the water. The sun, moon, and stars will be struck. There will be a plague of locusts that will come out of this great abyss and will go after the people. And, and it, will, it will go after people who, don't, who aren't sealed by God. And it says that they will, they will inflict pain. And it says in there, you read it, they, they, they will not die. They will even want to die, but they won't be able to find death. Man's response, if you, if you go and study it to all these uh, seals and trumpets and bowls, man's response, the iron fist. The iron fist to God. Make note of this, Revelation chapter 9, verses 20 through 21 Revelation chapter 16, verse 9. Revelation chapter 16, 
verse 11. It says, it says that these people, after all this has taken place, they will blaspheme God. They will blaspheme the Lord. And it says specifically in the text that they will refuse to repent. Very cold hearts. Very dark hearts. You know, that's what sin does to us. Sin, when we entertain sin and we continue in a lifestyle of sin, after we become a Christian, our hearts begin to harden. Our hearts begin to harden to hearing God's voice. That's why it's so important as a believer that when the Holy Spirit taps on your shoulder and says, hey, that's wrong, you need to repent. You need to take it to his throne of grace. You need to take it in so he can cleanse you. So that over a period of time, your heart won't become hard. But you'll have a soft heart, an open heart to the voice of the Lord. And so you can hear the Holy Spirit's voice. So you can understand the scriptures. It's very, very important. But it won't be that way. It won't be that way during the day of the Lord. It won't be that way during the tribulation. It'll be very tough times. As I said a while ago, it'll get so bad they would rather die. Revelation chapter 9, verse 6 says, In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. That's Revelation chapter 9, verse 6. So men will seek death, but even death will elude them. That's a bad time. That's a bad timing. That's a bad, that's a bad place to be for human beings during the great tribulation, during the day of the Lord, during this future outpouring of what we know as the book of Revelation. Then there'll also be the false trinity. There'll be the, the false trinity during the great tribulation or the day of the Lord. That's where um, uh, we call him Satan and his two puppets. Satan and his two puppets will be in charge of the worldly system. First, there'll be the Antichrist, but according to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, in the beginning, he will sign a peace treaty with Israel. And then halfway through the tribulation, he will break the treaty. And then he sets up the abomination of desolation, which is he goes into the temple. Of, uh, there's going to be a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem where they worship. And he's going to go into the temple. He's going to defile the temple. And he's going to go into the Holy of Holies and declare himself as God. And, and, and they call it the abomination of, of desolation. Because he will, he will, he will um, contaminate the system of worship and, and the temple there. And then there's the false prophet. The false prophet. You can read about him in Revelation chapter 13. His job will be to point people to the Antichrist. That's what his job is. is to point people to the Antichrist. The scripture says he will look like a lamb. He will look like a lamb. But he speaks like a dragon. That's what the scripture says. He's going to be religious. Because people want some religion, but it's not going to be the true religion of Christianity, of Jesus Christ. He will perform uh, counterfeit miracles, but again, his main job is in a religious way to get the people that are living in the world to look to the Antichrist. But I got good news for you, because that, that's, that's, that's a lot of doom and gloom, and it is. It's a dark hour I don't want to be around for, but in the middle of this darkness, the scripture says, in, in the middle of this seven-year tribulation period, in the middle of this, what we call the day of the Lord, there's going to be a revival. There's going to be a revival. 
There's, there's going to be a revival even in this dark time. I'm telling you, right now to become a Christian, it's pretty simple as far as trusting in the Lord, repenting, putting your trust in Christ, receiving him as your Lord and Savior, and living for him. But to become a Christian during the Great Tribulation is going to be a very challenging time. It's going to be very rough for, for those living during the Great Tribulation. According to Joel 2.28, it says, In those days, he's going to pour out his Spirit on his sons and daughters. In Revelation chapter 7, it teaches that there will be 144,000 Jewish believers during the Great Tribulation. And I believe that those 144,000, their job will be to evangelize the world, to go out and proclaim Yeshua, Messiah, Jesus to the world and give people an opportunity to repent. They will evangelize the world. And I also do believe, I do believe, because the scripture convinces me of this, that Gentiles, that Gentiles during the Great Tribulation will get saved because that is the grace of God. That is the grace and the mercy of our God. If, if whosoever, if any man will repent and believe, will receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he will grant them eternal life. He will grant them with forgiveness. God, God does not, does not, I got to say it once before I repeat it, but God does not delight in the wicked perishing. He delights for all men to come to know him. But I believe there will be a Gentile group of people in the, in the, during this period that will come to know him. Revelate, and, I, and I get this from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, where it says this, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one can number, of all nations, tribes, and peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne... And before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. So people will come to know Christ. It'll be hard. It'll be challenging. Many will lose their life because of their faith. But I do believe people will come to Christ. So that is what's talked about in the book of Revelation, that Jesus points to that the hour uh, of trouble, Jacob's trouble, that the, this day of destruction will take place. Now, let's go back to our text in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and let's look at verse 3. And let's finish it up. The Apostle Paul, he doesn't teach a lot on these verses on the day of the Lord. And you have to ask the question, why? Why doesn't he break it out? If you go back to Acts chapter 17, when Paul went to Thessalonica, it says he reasoned with the Jews in the synagogue for the first three Sundays. There was a large um, conglomeration of Jewish believers there. And if anybody had knowledge of the day of the Lord, who would it be? It would be the Jews. It would be the Jews because their, their Old Testament, the Bible during that time, had lots and lots of references to the day of the Lord. They were looking forward to the day of the Lord where God would come. But going back to verse 3, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, let's look at verse 3. For when they say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape, is what your verse says in verse 3. In other words, it will come suddenly. It will come unexpected. It will come as a thief in the night. Has anybody ever come to your house at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and, hey, excuse me, sir, excuse me, Mr. or Ms. Howell, 
I'm going to be breaking into your house tonight. I just want to give you a heads up. Probably around 1 a.m. Has anybody ever done that to you? No. That's not the way a thief works. A thief secretly comes when you least expect it. So will it be with the coming of the Son of Man. He will come when we least expect it. You know, we're not into predicting days and times and seasons because Jesus said no man knows the day nor the hour. It could happen before I finish the sermon. It, it may happen later on in life when um, some of us are gone and others are still here. But no man knows the day or the hour. But this, my friend, I present to you this morning is what, what, I, call, is what I believe the scripture teaches is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is, is man's had his day. Now God's going to have his day. And God's going to hold every single person accountable. He's going to hold every single person accountable. And because this world has been marred by sin from, from, from their creation, he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth. And guess who he invites to be a part of this new heavens and this new earth? Whosoever. Whosoever will come and follow Jesus. Whosoever will come and receive him as their Lord and Savior. That is the, the invitation to know that from here to eternity that I'm going to be with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That I'm going to be with God. That's our ultimate aim. That's our ultimate focus in life is to see our Savior face to face. To see him in, in his grace and his mercy and his truth and his love because we have been forgiven and we have been redeemed. That's beautiful. So summarize. I sent the email out this week. I says, we're going to answer the question, what is the day of the Lord? I want to give you a summary statement of what I believe the day of the Lord is. And it is this. The day of the Lord is a future seven-year tribulation period of time when God will finish his discipline of Israel and finalize his judgment of the unbelieving world. The church, made up of all who have trusted in Jesus for salvation, will not be present because the church will be removed from the earth prior to his wrath being poured out. That is what the day of the Lord. If you, ask, if you send me a text this week or send me an email, I'll be glad to email you a copy of all those verses. There is so much more to the day of the Lord. Cataclysmic events in the heavens and the earth and things happening in, in people, in, in the worlds and people. And then if you go back and study Daniel chapter 9, a fascinating um, chapter to study where there's this prophecy of 70 weeks. And at the 69th week, the Messiah will be cut off. And, and, and when the Messiah is cut off, uh, we still haven't gone into that 70th week of Daniel where it talks about the Antichrist making a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. That's how it starts off. Then halfway through the seven-year period, um, he breaks the covenant, goes in there and sets up himself as the abomination of desolation in the temple. But there's so many passages on the day of the Lord that if you want a really great Bible study, shoot me a text or email this week, and I'll send you those verses. But that's deep. <laughs> that's deep. And that's heavy this morning that we're looking at the day of the Lord and the great tribulation and God pouring out his wrath and all these things taking place. David, where's the application? Where's the application? How do I live? What can I take from this message on the day of the Lord? 
If you're thinking that question, I'm glad you asked. So let's answer it because that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is going to go into here starting at verse 4. So the question is, how do we live? Let's take a look and see what Scripture says. The first principle is found in verses 4 and 5. Let's read them. He says in verse 4, But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not, we are not of the night nor of the darkness. Principle number one, knowing about the day of the Lord and knowing about this future event. First principle is we don't live in fear. We don't live in fear. We don't live in fear or terror like, oh no. We know it's going to take place. We know it's going to happen. And instead of living in fear, we live in hope. We live in hope. Uh, we live in expectation of, of, of God taking care of us and being faithful to us to the end. Look at verse 4. He says, um, this day will not overtake you, is what he says there. Why? Because verse 4, he says, you're not in darkness. This Not in darkness, this is a metaphor for our life before Christ. In other words, now we're born again. In darkness, you weren't born again. You were living in darkness. There was no spiritual life in you. But now, you've been made right with God. You've been made right with the Lord. And it says in verse 5, it says, you are all sons of light. Do you know that? You're a son of light. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, there's this light living inside of you. What was that, that song as a child? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm, I'm going to stop singing right there because I want you all to stay here and not run out the door. But, but we have the light of Christ living in us. You have the light of Jesus Christ living inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling your spirit. Jesus said in John 8, 12, he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have what? The light of life. That's what's, that's what's inside of you. The old, the old sinful garments, Christ has removed them. All the guilt, all the condemnation, all the darkness, he's removed it. And he's given you a new heart that's full of light and is full of his Holy Spirit. So that's the first principle. In light of the day of the Lord, we don't live in fear, but in expectation and hope. Let's look at number two in verse six. He says, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Principle number two from verse six is this. We are not lazy in our Christian walk. We're not lazy in our Christian walk. Verse 6 says, therefore, let us not sleep. That's, that's talking about being lethargic, being slothful, being uncaring. And, but it says, let us watch and be sober. That word be sober means to think clearly, to make wise decisions, to prioritize your Christianity, to make it a point that I'm going to be in God's house, I'm going to be in church, where I can hear God's word preached, where I can be in fellowship. That's so important. That's an important spiritual discipline for every believer. No matter where you're at in life, there's churches in every city. Find a good Bible-believing church and go there and, and exercise that. And don't be lazy. Don't be slothful. You know, spend time 
put you, make it simple, guys. You know, I got a Bible on my desk. I got a Bible by my bedside. And I got Bible in various places throughout the house. And when I slow down and things are quiet, I'll sit down and I'll pick up and I'll read my Bible. But I'll just, I'll just carve some time out of my day. And you need to carve some time out of your day to just spend some time in the Bible. I'm not going to tell you how much. I don't care if you read three verses or 50 verses. That's between you and the Lord. But spend some time. Spend some spiritual disciplines so that you don't go to sleep. So that we're not um, lethargic in our Christian walk. So number one, we don't live in fear. Number two, uh, we are not lazy in our Christian walk. Let's look at number three at verses seven and eight. Verse seven and eight, he says, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Does Does that sound familiar to anybody? What is it? Yeah, yeah. It's mentioned two other places in the scripture. Walk in, and this is principle number three. We walk in faith, hope, and love. Knowing that this great day is coming. Knowing that one day Christ will return. We make it our efforts and our focus in life. To, here it is, to walk in faith, hope, and love. What is faith? Faith is believing and trusting God. It's believing and trusting God and, 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 and believing, trusting him. It's believing and trusting his word. It's, 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 it's that relying on him. It's believing in him and, and resting your heart and your faith in him. Faith is, uh, Hebrews says, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is that thing inside of you that only you know about that says, I know this is true. I know this is true. I have the assurance that I believe it and I know it's true. And when you have that deep conviction, it causes you to trust him because he's a faithful God. As I was talking about in the very beginning, you know, our God is faithful. God God is faithful to you. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. You're going through a difficult time. You're going through a trying time. God is faithful. He will be faithful to his church, the bride, the body of Christ, globally, but he'll also be faithful to you individually. Then he says, uh, faith, look, the next one, he, we say faith, hope, and love, and he puts them in faith, love, and hope. The next one is love. He says, walk in love. What, what do you mean walk in love? Love God. Have this affectionate love inside your heart for God himself and for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I love you with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. Love God. But the, I, don't, I, don't, I, I believe that the love doesn't stop there. The love doesn't stop there. The love means love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we're called to love one another because we're family. But guess what? Love doesn't stop there either. It doesn't stop there either. We love this world. We love every single person that we come in contact with regardless of who they are or what they identify as or whatever, all the 10 million different shades of people in this world, we love all people. We show Christ's love to all people. When he says here, but you are, but let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. You know, in other words, he says, put it on, man. Love people. 
love people. And then he says, uh, finally he says, at the end of verse 8, and as a helmet of hope, of salvation. What is hope? Sometimes that that word can be difficult to define. What, What is hope? Hope is this, guys. Hope is expectation of coming good. That's a solid biblical definition of what the scripture says. We're not hoping this is true. We know it's true. But our hope causes us to look forward to the future and to expect God to take care of us. To know that he is, that the song we just sang, he's a good, good father. And and because of his goodness, we know that he's going to take care of us. Hope is expectation of coming good from a good, good father. Amen? Let's continue. We're going to stop at verse 11 today, but let's continue at verse 9. He says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. You know, when you begin your journey with Christ, you, you know, your eternal life, first off, eternal life does not begin when you step into eternity. Do you know that? Eternal life begins right now. Eternal life, you have eternal life now. You have, you, have, you have eternal life now. But we are connected with the Father. We are connected with the Son because we've been born again and because we're living for Him and His Holy Spirit is dwelling in us. It says, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Make Him a part of your home because He's in our lives Make him a part of your home. Make him a part of your life. Don't say, well, Jesus, you're, 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 you're Lord of my life and you're my Savior, and I got fire insurance for when I leave this life and I just want to make it into heaven. No, invite him into your whole life. Invite him into every part of your life and, and, and serve him and, and give him thanks for everything he does in your life. And then the fourth principle, yeah, there's four, I, I found In verse 11, let's look at our final verse this morning. The scripture says, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. The fourth principle I present to you this morning in light of the day of the Lord is that we encourage each other. That we be, that you be an encouraging Christian. You know what I'm saying? Don't be a Christian that tears people down, but be a Christian that encourages others in their walk with the Lord, in life. Encourage them. Push them forward. Look back in your Bibles at, um, at the end of chapter 4. First Thessalonians, look at chapter 4, verse 18. What does the scripture say? We're talking eschatology here, guys. First Thessalonians chapter 4 and First Thessalonians chapter 5, we're talking eschatology, but look at what um, the scripture says in the last verse of chapter 4. He says, therefore comfort one another. With these words. What words is he talking about? He was talking about the rapture. And now Paul is talking about the day of the Lord, and he's saying it again in verse 11 therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are doing. We're called to encourage each other in our walk with Christ. Nobody's perfect, nobody has it all together. I don't have it all together. So let's encourage each other all the more as we move forward in our Christian walk. The, the word encouragement is. Uh, a definition from Merriam's, uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary, the word encouragement says, the action of giving someone support, confidence, or hope. 
You know, that, make, that can make or break people. Did you know that? Some of us, some people go through difficult times, and, and, and they're, they're on the fringe, and you encouraging them or tearing them down could be the difference for their future. Because some people, you know, we struggle. We have difficulties, even in our, even in our, our walk with Christ. And in life, we, find, we, we face difficulties. And you don't know what your neighbor's going through. You don't know what your buddy at church that you only see on Wednesdays and Sundays is going through. So when you do meet with them, when you do talk with them, when you do see them, what does the Scripture say? Encourage. Encourage. Uh, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another. That encouragement comes in the form of pushing them forward but also as you develop that relationship and that friendship and, and, and the, the bonds go deep and that person sees that you genuinely love them and that you genuinely care, then accountability comes in where a, a brother can talk to another brother about an issue he sees in his life or a sister talks to another sister about an issue she sees in her life. But the scripture says we are to comfort each other. Let's be Comfort and encourage. Let's, let's comfort one another. Let's encourage one another. And let's propel each other forward in life and in our relationship with the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. So there you have it, church. The day of the Lord. It's a, it's a, it's a day that's coming. It's in the future. How, how, how can I be ready? Trust in Christ. Trust in Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive him as your Lord and Savior. That's simple. It's not about going to church, even though it's important. It's not about water baptism, even though it's important. But it's about trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. And when you do that, brother, God will be faithful. And he will see you through. And he will take us into eternity. Praise the Lord. Amen? I hope you've been blessed by this teaching, the day of the Lord. Um, Next week, we will finish up chapter 5, which is, is uh, the uh, Apostle Paul's closing uh, words of encouragement to the church. And then we'll pick it up in 2 Thessalonians in two weeks, where um, Paul's going to go deeper into some of these subjects. He's going to talk about the Antichrist and the man of lawlessness. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. And don't miss it. You know, the Scripture says we're, we're called to—some people will take eschatology— in the book of Revelation, in the, the uh, last days, things, and they'll put it on the shelf. They'll be like, well, this is too hard to understand. It's too hard to understand, so let's don't study it. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. I believe it's important that as, as, as we carefully study it, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, let the Bible, let Scripture interpret the Scripture. I believe you can get a good, solid, general picture of what the future looks like. Now, we're going to have some varying degrees. Some people are pre-trib, some people are mid-trib, post-trib, pre-wrath, all these other views. But we can all come together. We can all come together and, and study it and get a general idea of what the future holds. And that should bring our heart peace and joy, knowing that when we see things happening in the world, that we know that our God is behind the scenes moving us forward for one day the day of the Lord will take place and the rapture of the church. And then one day we'll no longer live by faith. We'll see him face to face. Amen? Amen. Be encouraged, church.
We're going to close service now, but I just want to encourage you uh, again. Just, I'm changing subjects here, but going back to prayer tonight, um, God is moving. And I'm, you're going to start hearing me, and I'm, 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 I'm going to make a huge announcement next Sunday. But over the next couple Sundays, you're going to hear about some cool and awesome, exciting ministries that are going to start taking place at Calvary Chapel Irmo. And it's all because of prayer. It's all because of prayer. You know, the prayer on Sunday night, but also believe the prayer in your homes. When you, I, hope, I hope you're praying for me and, and praying for our church. But a lot of exciting things are going to be taking place. And I'm pumped, and I'm excited, and I'm ready to move forward. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our, our verse-by-verse study through the book of Thessalonians. Lord, we have a handle. We have a structure of what we see the last days are going to be like. But Father, I pray for what we saw in the second half, verses 5 to 11. Lord, help us to, to be the light in this world. Help us to shine your truth, to shine your grace, to shine your love to people in the church and people outside of the church. People that we work with, people that we go to school with, and just people in our, in our neighborhoods. Help us to shine the light to them. Help us to shine the truth And Lord, help us to be an encouraging people that encourages one another and not just the people in this body, not just within the people of the walls of this sanctuary, but Lord, the people out there. Help us to be sensitive to what people are going through and help us to be that Barnabas. Help us to be that servant that encourages. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.